There are two main ways that you can view the world around us. The one way that you can view the world, and the most popular way to view the world, is to look at the problems that mankind faces, the disease, the heartache, the pain, the suffering, the relationship problems, the war. You can look at all those problems that we deal with and that we face, and you can say those are external problems. Those come from the outside of man, and so they're, they're things, and when you view them as external problems, you view them as things that we have the opportunity and the availability to fix. And so the problems we face, the, the fears we deal with, they are external, and they can be solved by increased education or increased technology. We believe that the smarter we become, the more educated we become about the world around us, then we can overcome the troubles that plague mankind. We will solve the diseases. We will fix the problems. We will resolve the issues that bother us and that trouble us. If, if we, can, we can talk you out of it, if we can drug you out of it, if you can't sleep, we've got a pill for that. If you're depressed, we've got a way to get you undepressed. And, you know, we, we can do anything you need and to give you anything you need to help you with any problem. If you have a disease, we'll create a pill that can handle that disease. The more we learn about the human body, the more we learn about the universe, we'll learn how to eat and how to exercise and how to live longer and how to be healthier and how to de-stress your life. And so all these issues that we face, we can fix them because they're external to us. And the more we learn, the more we grow, the more we, we, get to, we, we become educated, the more we can fix. So we can learn all about the universe, the human body. We can educate ourselves and we can overcome the external problems of life. The problem with this is when we view the world that way, when we view the world as external issues that we can fix, we eradicate the need for God in our lives because we don't need him because we can fix it. We're so smart, we can fix the problems. We don't pray like we should because if we get sick, we just take a pill. We get sick, we just go to the doctor. Now look, I'm not saying if you get sick, don't go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. But maybe pray about it too. But we get to the point where we don't need God. If we're bored, we go to a movie theater or rent a movie or look through the 600 channels on TV. So if there's a problem, we can solve it so we don't need God. The problems that face humanity that, that we deal with are external to them. Now, the biblical point of view and the correct point of view is that the problems that we face are not external, they're internal. There, there's a problem inside of us that causes all these external problems. Yes, some of the problems, the disease, the heart, some of those are external, but they're caused because of the problem that lives inside of mankind. The problems that plague humanity are not found outside of man alone, but inside of him. The problems inside of man are so big that even if we could solve the external problems facing us, the internal man's going to mess it up. Give you an example. Man, remember, now most of you younger kids, y'all don't remember this, but how many of y'all remember in the 80s, the, the fear and the, the, just the terrible thing about, of AIDS going around in the 80s. If you got AIDS, it was a death sentence. There was no hope for you. Well, Magic Johnson's had it for what, like 25 years now? He's the only guy I know to get AIDS and gain weight. Why? Because of medication. Because now we have 
learned so much about it. We've developed so much about it. Technology has advanced so much that if you develop AIDS or HIV, there's, there's so many pills out there and medication out there that there is an 80 to 85% survival rate if you can get to the doctor in time. But the problem is there are millions of people in the world, specifically the developing world, that are going to die from that disease. Why? Because the medication can't get to them because of greed and corruption and political things and mankind has messed it up. We had a problem. We solved the problem. But it's still not fixed because the inner man still gets in the way. The inner man still messes it up. So externally, we can overcome some of, the, of what plagues man, but our hearts are still corrupted, so the root of the problem is still there. Since the fall of man, the DNA of the world has fractured, and all of us are broken. All of us are messed up. Evil and unrighteousness is not something we learn as we get older, it's something that's in us from day one. And if you've ever had kids, you know that. You never had to teach your kids how to bite. They just do it. Why? Because they're evil. Oh, no, they're so sweet and precious. No, they're evil. And you know why they're evil? Because you're evil. And because I'm evil. You don't got to teach your kids to be selfish. They're just, they're born, this is mine. Everything's mine. Why? Because the inner man is broken. Everyone in this room and everyone outside of this room is broken and sinful. That means every institution on earth is run by broken and sinful people. So every institution on this earth is broken and sinful. Not only are individuals broken, but institutions are broken as well. All of them. The government's broken. We all know that, right? School systems, broken. Penal systems, broken. Hospital system, healthcare system is broken. And this is not a political statement. This is just it's how, human, it's how it is. The church is broken. Why? Because the people in it are broken. The people that run it are broken. So how do we live in a broken world? How do we interact in a broken world where everything is tainted by sin and brokenness? How do we live in a world where the individuals and the institutions are broken? How do we do it? And that's what Solomon is going to help us with this evening. So look in your Bibles in Ecclesiastes chapter number 8, starting verse number 1. <clears throat> he says, Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing, a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Now here's the wisest man who ever lived. Of course, we know the story of Solomon. Solomon becomes king over all of Israel because David, his father, has died and he's king. And God comes to him in a vision and says, Solomon, you're going to be king over the nation of Israel. You're going to need help. And Lord, Solomon, whatever you need, I will give you. And so Solomon, he was basically granted one wish by God. And, you know, it's one of those, hey, you can't wish for more wishes things, Solomon, but what do you want? He could have asked for power. He could have asked for money. He could have asked for women. He could have asked for anything. And he goes to God and says, God, I need wisdom. And because he had wisdom, he got power. 
Because he had wisdom, he got authority. He got money. He got all these things. Because he had wisdom, he was the king that led Israel into its golden age, that built a temple, that did incredible things for God and for the nation of Israel. He is the wisest man to ever live. And here's Solomon saying, who's really wise? Who really knows anything? Well, Solomon does, but he's like, no, no, no. I don't have it all together. I'm just a man. My, my, my being is finite. My, my knowledge, although I may have wisdom, it's, it's limited. So he's saying, who can truly know wisdom? And he says, how can we walk in a fallen world? He starts out by saying, the light of Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the light of Christ shines out of you and it changes you. But he continues, look at verse number two. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that, I, and that in regard of the oath of God. So Solomon says, when the light of Christ shines into our lives, we have our heart awakened to the things and the reality of Jesus. And the first thing we need to do when we're living in a fallen world, Solomon says, is if you're going to survive in a fallen world and let the light of Christ shine through you and be an example to the world and be a, a, a something that people can look to and you can point people to Christ, if you're going to live in a fallen world and you're going to serve God in a fallen world, the first thing you've got to do is be careful who you allow to influence you. Be careful who you submit to. There is an element of submission in everyone's life. Now, I know we don't like talking about submission because typically in Baptist churches, we talk about submission as wives, you submit to your own husbands. When he comes home, you better have makeup on and you better have the dishes clean and the food on the table and and look if wives if your husband tells you that call me when you beat him with a frying pan i'll be your alibi because that's not what submission is submission isn't oh what can i do to serve you master submission is preferring one another it's putting someone else's needs and desires above yours is what jesus did for us he put our needs above his own so there's a an element of submission in everyone's life you you have a you submit to a boss there's someone you submit to. If you're married, there's an element of mutual submission that occurs in marriage. Yes, yeah, the Bible does say wives submit to your husbands, but he also says a couple of verses later, we don't like to read it, husbands submit to your wives. It's a two-way street. So we're supposed to submit one to another. So there's submission in marriage. Even friendship at a deep level requires there be some submission on both sides for friendships to thrive. If you've got a friendship and one person refuses to submit or, or give in to, or, put, put their, or care for you or put your needs above their it's never going to, it's, it's not a good friendship. It's not a real friendship. It's never going to succeed. So what Solomon is saying here is be careful who you submit to. Be careful who you give power to. Be careful who you give influence over your life to. He's going to say be, be careful who you pair up with. Be careful who you join your life with it. Be careful who you marry. Some of you single people, be careful who you marry. Because who you marry is going to affect you, affect you the rest of your life. Now, hey, you're, you're married? Too late. Make, you know, got to get right with God and make it right. You know, I've had people say, oh, I don't think I married the right person. Well, you did now. So that's the option. So be careful who you marry. Be careful who you're friends with. Be careful who you work for. Pay attention to who's giving influence to your life. Why, why is it such a big deal that we're to be careful who we're submitting to, 
who are being careful, who's giving power, we're giving power over us. So look at the next two verses, and Solomon explains it in verse 3. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? So what Solomon's saying here is be careful who you submit to, who you give power to, who you allow to influence over you, because you might find yourself being part of something that God calls evil. You might find yourself doing something that God calls sin. You might find yourself doing something you never thought you would do before because you allowed someone to influence you. It's easy to allow those to influence you to steal your affection for God. And listen, it's not just the people you hang out with. It's not just people you work with. It's the influences in your life, the, the media you watch, the shows you watch, the new, you know, you tell me what news shows you watch, I can tell you your political affiliation. Why? Because what you watch is how you lean. You watch Fox News, I know how you lean. You watch MSNBC, I question your sanity, but I know how you lean. Say, what do you watch, Pastor? I watch YouTube. I don't get my news from any of those people. I get it from the news source itself. But anyway, so whoever you watch, it, it influences you. And so you can, they can influence you for good, or they can influence you for me, but they can steal your affection from God. Solomon saw this firsthand in his life. You remember Solomon? He, I mean, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and a lot of them were political marriages. Many of them he never even saw because he would just marry them to get a, a, a treaty over here or something over there. So a lot of them were political and he never really even saw or dealt with. But still, some of these wives he was very close to. Some of these wives he allowed to influence him. And the Bible says in 1 Kings that when Solomon was old, his wives had turned his heart from God. The wisest man to ever live allowed the associations in his life to steal his affection from God. Be careful who you let influence you. Be careful who you allow to have power over your life. He continues in verse number five. He says, Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and no wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. Now what he's saying here is how do you succeed in a world? How do you walk worthy in a world that's, that's fallen? Well, first of all, you, you make sure that you're, not, you're, you're allowing, not allowing wrong people to influence you. Be careful who you submit to. Second thing he says is you need to know who you are in Christ and what God's will for your life is to help serve him and build his kingdom. Because by knowing what Christ has for you, by knowing what Christ wants you to do, the path between right and wrong is already decided for you. All you have to do is walk with God. All you have to do is follow God's will for your life. Know who you are. Know what Jesus has asked of you. Know what the gospel means in your life. That way, when you walk through life, the right direction, the right time, the right thing will already be known to you. So as you walk with Christ, as you walk with, as you seek his wisdom, as you pray for others, as you submit to the things of God, right and wrong are already determined. Right and wrong are already set for you. The direction of your life is set 
because you knew who you were before you got up in the morning. Right and wrong isn't changed by your associations, by your circumstances, because they're based on who you are in Christ. Here's what I mean. I have a lot of roles that I play in my life. I have a role of a pastor that I have to play. That I, that's, it's, it's one of the roles that God has given me. I have the role of a boss. It's one of the roles God has given me. I have the role of a father. I've got three children. That it is a role God has given me. I have the role of a husband. It is the role God has given me. Each of these have been given to me by Christ, has been entrusted to me by God, and it's part of who I am, and it's part of what God has for me to do in my life. And knowing who I am in those roles, what is will for me in those roles, makes me, helps me make the right decisions in situations because they've already been made for me. As a husband, I'm to be faithful to my wife. That decision has been made. The path has been set. So that means that when temptation comes to be unfaithful, I already know, no, I'm a husband who's supposed to be faithful to my wife. That decision has been made. Here's the path of right. Now, do people still take the wrong path? Sure they do. But the path for right's already been determined. As a husband, I'm supposed to love my wife and give myself to her as Christ loved the church. So when, uh, when I'm walking down the road and a decision comes where I can be selfish and hurt her, I know, no, I'm a husband who's supposed to love my wife. The decision to prefer her has been made. I can't make this choice because that choice is not what God has for me. Now, if I do, I'm in the wrong. The decision for right and wrong has already been made. I'm called by Christ to be a father that teaches my children about him, teach them to walk with him, to love him, to serve them. So my decisions to get my children to that place have already been made. And if I, if I live in the reality of what God has called me to be as a father, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know what God has for you. If you know who you are, if you know what God has for you, when the decision comes to do the wrong thing, you know what right is. Will you, will you still do the wrong thing? Some people will. Why? Because we're broken. Because we're sinful. But we know what the right choice is. We know what right and wrong is. Be careful who you let have authority over you, who you let have influence over you. Know who you are and what God has for your life. But then look at verse number seven. <clears throat> for he knoweth not, <clears throat> for he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell uh, him when it shall be? Verse eight. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the discharge uh, in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given. To it. So be careful who you submit to, who you give power to, unless you get sucked into their, their wickedness and you do something that's evil before God and know who you are before you even get started. But then he says this. He says, even if you're careful who you submit to, even if you're careful who you allow to have influence on you, and even if you know exactly what God's command to you will be, sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes there's still bad things that happen. And I'm so grateful that he, that he does that because this is the exact opposite of what we want to hear in church. We want to hear in church, hey, if you're careful who you allow to influence you, if you, if you know the word of God and you're, you're walking with God and you're obeying God and you're making the right choices and you're doing right, then man, everything's going to turn out right in your life, but it's not. And he uses the analogy of war there. 
You know, our military is the, the best military in the world. Now, that is probably because we spend 10 times more than everyone else in the world on our military, but hey, I'm cool with that. You know, keep home front safe. But we, we take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of equipment, a lot of money to train our soldiers to know exactly what to do in battle. To know when to put their head down, when to, how, to, how to line up so that they're, they're protecting everyone, how to watch for their backs. And they know exactly what to do when they go in battle. But you send a soldier into battle, he can be the best trained, most well-equipped soldier there's ever been. But he can still go to war and he can still die. Why? Because life's uncertain. Because even if you do right, bad things still happen to us. And we have to be, understand that. So he's saying here, no man controls the power of life and death. No man can decide to retain his own spirit. In the end, be obedient to God, walk with God, and trust that even if it goes bad, God's in control. Even if the worst thing happens, God still loves you and God's still in control. And then he moves on to his next idea. Look at verse number nine. All this have I seen. So he's, he's seen this in his life. He goes, I've seen, I've seen good people get hurt. I've seen good people have bad things happen to them. I've seen bad people thrive and, and just have great things happen to them. I just don't understand it. He goes, all this I've seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they, had done, where they had so done. This also is vanity. So here's what he's saying here. He goes, don't be naive. Your heroes are sinful men too. What he's telling us is, hey, don't put people up on a pedestal because that just means they've got a farther way to fall. Because they're going to mess up too. Look, I've got some heroes in the faith. I, I've got some heroes. I, I used to have some heroes in the faith that fell hard. And it's, it hurts when they do. And most of them have done it. And so I'm real careful. I don't call them heroes in the faith. They're men that I allow to influence me through the preaching of the, of the, of the word. I listen to them. There's some pastors I follow and, and I, I, I appreciate their ministry. And I look at them like, man, I wish that'd be awesome to have. I wish we could do that. Man, that's a goal I like to have. And man, I just love that the way he delivers the word of God. And man, it's incredible. But you know what? We get to, especially in, in, in Western Christianity, we get very good at praising the man instead of praising God who's using the man. And you can see it in church. That's what... I, I, I hate the megachurch movement. I like, I mean, there are some pastors who pastor megachurches who hate it too, and they're always breaking their church up. And people have asked me, you know, uh, years ago, April, me and April were talking, and, you know, when the church was first getting started, and, you know, she's crazy. She's like, what are we going to do when we get to 500? I'm like, what are we going to do when we get to five? That'll be good. But it's like, what are we going to do if we ever get to 500? I said, man, we ever get to that far, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find. 50 people that go over here, that go 20 minutes over here, 50 people. I'm just going to split the church wide open. I'm going to start a church over there and a church over there and make these people go, and I'm going to dwindle it down to what I can handle. Because I don't want 500 people. 500, man, that's a headache. Man, 150 always gives me a headache already. So what, I don't want 500. And so I don't want, but the problem is when you have these mega church things, the pastor becomes almost a celebrity. And he can do no wrong. Well, guess what? He can. 
You know, one day, you know, the, of course, the biggest one, the most celebrity pastor I can think of is Joel Olstein. Lord, please don't listen to him. One day he's going to fall. You know how I know? Because he's a man. And when he does, it's going to hurt a lot of people. Remember back in the 80s when, you know, Jimmy Swagger and all them fell? It, just, it hurt a lot of people. Be careful that you don't put people on a pedestal. See, all these men, even if I, the ones I listen to, they've accomplished these things, but they're not due any praise. The only reason they've accomplished anything they've accomplished is through the grace of God in their life. And anyone who would try to steal the glory from God for themselves, they are blaspheming against God, and they're in dangerous territory. We have got to get in the habit of, of praising God for what he does instead of praising the men he uses to do it. So, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to disappoint you. I probably already have most of you already, and that's fine. But I'm gonna, if, if I haven't disappointed you yet, I will one day. I promise. Why? Because I'm sinful. I'm a man. I'm broken. But guess what? You're going to disappoint me. You probably already have. Why? Because you're flesh. You're broken. So I'm going to disappoint you. I don't want to, I don't want to, but the fact is I am. And you're going to want to get a hold of me when you're, and you're not going to be able to. You're going to have expectation of me that are impossible for me to fulfill. I am going to disappoint you. I will fail you. And the reason is, reason why is because there's only one Messiah. There's only one who is good. There's only one who will never fail you. There's only one who will never let you down. There is only one who will always be there for you, and it's not me, and it's not any other person in your life. It's Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one who will never let you down. He's the only one who won't make you a promise and forget about it or break it and disappoint you in any way. If you build yourselves around preachers and programs, you're going to eventually find yourselves heartbroken. So what Solomon is telling us here is build your life around a living relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. Find pleasure and comfort and satisfaction and security in Him, and you will never be disappointed. And that's a healthy place to live in. Learn to praise God for the men that He uses, for what He's done in and through them. Don't praise the men themselves. This is Solomon's advice to us. But let's keep going. How do we live? How do we function in a fallen world? Look at verse number 11. <clears throat> because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them and do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it long uh, surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Therefore, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said this also... Is a vanity. He says that there are some things that seem to be meant for the wicked that the righteous have to endure. You know, it's like, man, I, people get sick and the wicked should get cancer, not the children of God. But children of God suffer as well. There are, and then he says there are gifts that should go to the righteous, but the wicked have to gain it. So, and we've all noticed these things. 
We've noticed the wicked seem to get away with things and seem to thrive and seem to get everything happening. And then we got righteous people who are just trying to serve God and love God and obey God who, who just can't seem to catch a break. And they're always having one thing after another happen to them. And he says, sometimes wickedness will happen 100 times before it seems like God ever gets involved. Be careful how you see the world. You're going to see someone at work. You're going to see someone at home who's going to do something unrighteous. And you know what's going to happen to them, Solomon says? Probably nothing. You know, they're going to, you're going to see someone at work get mad at their computer and cuss God, and they're not going to be struck with lightning. You think, well, why is God, not got, why is God getting involved? In fact, they may even gain from it. They're going to get some money. They're going to get some more friends. They're going to do something wicked. They're going to get money, new cars, bigger houses, friends. And they're going to sue the, a righteous man who does right before God, and he goes broke. His world falls apart. Be careful how you see the world. Learn to see it eternally and not see it temporarily. Because in the end, what Solomon is saying is in the end of all of it, God's the judge. The righteous may suffer on earth, but God will judge them one day and they'll be rewarded. The wicked may thrive on earth, but God's going to judge them one day and they're going to suffer. So don't view what people go through as what's happening here, but say, you know what, eternally, in the end, God's going to take care of it. God's going to judge everybody. Look at verse number 15. <clears throat> Connor, y'all sit still. Okay? Because daddy judges today, amen? All right. Verse 15. Then I commended myrrh, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth... Uh, for also there is that neither day nor night uh, seeth sleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. So this is a great text, and it's a hard text, but it's a good text. So here's what Solomon's saying. How do you live in a fallen world? He sums it up in these five verses. He said, submit yourselves to the truth of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be obedient to the commands of God. And when you've done everything that he's asked, when you've, when you've done everything that you can, when you've walked with God and you've, you've prayed and you've submitted to him and you've obeyed him and you've served him and you've done everything that you know you can do, eat, drink, and laugh because the rest is in his hands. What he's saying here is you don't control anything, and that should give you freedom. See, too many of us were control freaks. We want to control everything. I, I hate riding with April. I want to drive. Why? Because she's terrible at it, number one. She's super slow. We're on 581. I mean, we're on 81. The speed limit's 70 miles an hour. She gets behind a truck going 40. You know what she's going to do? Go 40. Now I'm in the pasture seat going, would you pass this guy? But so it just, ah, why? I want to be in control. I want to control everything. You know what Solomon's saying? You can do everything. You can drive the car. 
You can go the speed limit. You can have the radar detector, which is illegal in Virginia. You don't have that. You can have all the things. You can, you can do everything right, but you're really not in control. So just serve God, do right, and understand your life's in God's hands. He's in control, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants the best for you. So trust him and just let him do his thing. Do you have any idea... Uh, do you have an idea of your life right now that you feel is weighty and hard? Do you have something in your, in your life, some stress, something that's keeping you up at night? Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a situation at home. Maybe it's a situation with your friends. Maybe you have a relationship that is broken. You have decisions that are being made that are pulling you against what you know is right. Do you have some weight, some pressure, something on your heart or your mind right now? What Solomon is saying is, have you done all that Christ has asked you to do? Have you been obedient to all that Christ has asked of you? Have you asked for forgiveness when you needed to? Have you given forgiveness when it was owed to someone else? Have you gotten out that root of bitterness that's in your heart? Have you prayed? Have you laid it all at his feet? Have you done what is required of you biblically and spiritually? Have you done what Christ has asked of you? Now, if the answer is no, then you need to do what you're supposed to. If the answer is no, you need to go to that person that you've had the broken relationship to and say, I, forgive me for what I've done. Look, don't go to someone, even if they've messed up, don't go to someone and say, I forgive you. Because you don't. You can go to them and say, even if it's their fault, I'm sorry that I've allowed this to come. I'm sorry that, I've, that I may have hurt you. Offer forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Give it to God. Let it see if you've done that. But if you're in here and you say, I've done everything the Scriptures has asked me to be, then the Scriptures say, Call your friends, go have a meal together, and enjoy yourself because the rest is in God's hands. Do what you can do and then give it to God. Do what you're supposed to and then trust God with the results. He may fix it, he may not, but you do what you're supposed to do and let God do the rest. Everything else is in God's hands and there's nothing more you can do except trust him. We live in a fallen and broken world, and that causes a lot of problems in our lives. How do we handle it? How do we live in this fallen world? Be careful who you allow to influence you, because they can turn your heart from God. Know who you are in Christ and what he wants you to do, and that will help make the decisions of right and wrong for you. Don't exalt anyone above Christ because they're going to let you down. And if you've done everything right and things are still going wrong, just trust and know that God's in control. That's how we live in a broken world, according to Solomon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.